The construction industry is undergoing a huge transformation. Designers and contractors are facing new challenges every day. We are all overloaded with rising material costs, a growing skilled labor gap, increasing project complexities, and countless digital solutions. This podcast focuses on innovation through process analysis, change management, and building a culture of continuous improvement. Together, we will learn from industry leaders on how to improve workflows, increase communication, and build the future. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. It's Amanda Harbson coming to you from the Nika Innovation Overload Podcast Studio, and I'm joined by Tahir Ali and today's special guest, Stacey Zarr, who is the Director of Pre-Construction Services for the Waltinger Corporation. Stacey, we're so excited to have you on and talk to you today. Startups, tell us about your background and how you got into the industry. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I always joke that I grew up in the industry and I wasn't smart enough to get out. Um, I, we had a residential family construction business and I have pictures of me at age five working on the job site with my little hammer and pounding in nails. And um, I always thought that I would get out of the industry, went into mechanical engineering when I went to college. And um, I got within one semester of graduation and said, I do not want to build cars, which is what all my friends were doing. And so I added on a construction engineering degree. So I actually have dual mechanical and construction engineering degrees and actually went to work for Waldinger as an intern my last semester before I graduated and have been in the industry ever since. Oh, wow. That must have been a a hell of an internship then. Well, I I have not been continuous at Waldinger. I should be clear. So I was with Waldinger, left, came back. The advantage of working for a really big company is that there's tons of opportunities and you can kind of dibble and dabble in different parts of it. So I had a really good exposure to lots of different areas so that I did appreciate. That's awesome. And because you, like you said, you've, you've seen the, the industry from many different perspectives, you know, both growing up in it and, and also from the different perspectives of the jobs that you've held. And one of the things that we, we often discuss on this podcast is the ideas about innovation, right? It's, it's somewhat of a buzzword uh, and it can mean so many different things to so many different people, especially as your career evolves, especially as technology evolves. So Stacy, when you think of innovation, what does that mean to you? You know, I know a lot of people, when they think of innovation, think of um, like a technology. But to me, innovation is more about changing the way that you do things. Um, And that could include technology, but it doesn't have to include technology. It could be as simple as changing, I was going to say, making coffee, changing what you stir the coffee with, you know. It really is looking at that, whatever you're trying to do from a different perspective and how do you change it in order to make it better, more efficient, safer, whatever, whatever your end game is. So to me, that's what innovation encapsulates. I like that. And, you know, like you said, I mean, innovation is in many different facets. And I think one of the big ones too is, you know, mindset. I know currently we, you know, we're doing student chapters and one of the biggest pieces that we're learning that we really want to kind of focus education on is MEP, you know, how the trades work together and the benefits of what they do, especially, you know, a lot of GCs recruit, which is fine, but we want to try to get the MEP name out there. But the big thing is teaching the respect of them. Um, So I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, the MEP trades and some of the areas that we're possibly lacking in and how we can get better in it. 
I love that perspective too of like, hey, how do we keep kids in the industry? Because all these big general contractors come in here throwing dollars at them and we're like, but hey, we do really cool things. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that the MEP industry has so much to offer because when you look at what's really happening in construction, the work that gets done happens in our industries. The general contractors, they manage people who do work, but they don't actually get in there and do the work. And when you look at where is the opportunity to improve process, it's in that day-to-day get the work done stuff. And so to me, that's one of the keys when we're recruiting people is like explaining to people, hey, you know, we're the people who are actually doing the work. If you really want to make a difference, be in this industry. Our, from our company's perspective, we do have both mechanical piping, plumbing, and sheet metal. Not all facets are offered in every branch, but as an organization, we do have all of those. And we're really focused on how do we take best practices and learn from one of the trades and take that information over to the other trade and apply it. How do we work together more closely to share the best practices and lessons learned in order to take the whole organization further together? I think that's us internally as an organization, but I think that's something as an organization wide, it's an industry wide that we should be working on, right? MCA does a great job. NECA does a great job. SMACNA does a great job separately. But how do we work together to try to take the whole MEP trade further than what any one of us can do individually? That's such a great point, Stacey. And that brings us, you know, to a a fabulous kind of uh, plug for the MEP Innovations Conference, which is happening from January 24th through 26th in Tampa. And it will be kind of the industry's first specialty contractors uh, technology innovation conference put on in person for uh, NECA, SMACNA, and MCAA members. So you're a big part of kind of the way that all three associations look at technology and innovation, right? You're on our podcast. You do a lot of work with both SMACNA and MCA on kind of the way that they approach kind of the technology side of things. So what would you say for someone who's never heard of the conference or maybe never been to um, an innovation or a tech construction event, what would you say are kind of some of the draws of an event like this? Oh, gosh. Um, Speakers are kind of interesting, right? There's always some interesting speakers, but that's not the value of the conference. The value of the conference is the other people there. It's the information and idea sharing. So I think I heard this morning there are 450 people signed up or 470, something like that for the conference, which is phenomenal. And when you get all of those really smart people in the room who all have different perspectives, you can learn something. And even when I go visit a small contractor's office, a smaller contractor's office, I learn something. So to me, it's that taking that, those nuggets that you learn and harvesting them and bringing them back and figuring out like, how do I apply what they're doing to our business processes? Or how do I alter our business processes to take advantage of things? So to me, it's those opportunities to communicate, interact, and share with the others that have way more value than any one speaker that may come to the conference. Yeah, Benham's cool, Amy Marks, whatever. But really, I would much rather get information from the Jeff Elwells and the Doug Smiths and stuff like that who are in the day-to-day battle to try to implement things and some of those big name speakers. That's such a great point, right? Is the the 
the piece that we've all kind of missed as a community is is getting together and learning from each other and just those those conversations you have in the hallway or you know in the happy hours so for someone who you know Stacy you you are very seasoned you've been to many of these conferences you've helped put on many of them but for someone who maybe has never been to one what would you say is just kind of a a, a good piece of advice for them if they are interested in in attending how do they even get started to to get to know the Jeff Elwells, the Doug Smiths, the Stacy Zars of the, you know, the MEP world. I think that was a very nice way of calling me old. <laughs> no, <laughs> not 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 old at all. Just just a celebrity, a celebrity yeah. in your own right. So when people from my group go off to any of these conferences, I always um, I always give them an assignment, right? So I always tell them I'm like, you need to come up with two questions that you're going to ask people, something that's going to impact like something, a current problem that you're trying to solve or um, something that you're curious about. And then you need to go and like ask that question. So when you meet somebody say, Hey, this is something I've been working on. What's your perspective? And so I usually, I, I make them review the question with me and we usually tweak it and maybe add some part A's and part B's to it to help encourage the conversation. So go in with that. Where are you trying to make changes in your organization? Where are you trying to innovate? And have those questions, have them written down so you can get lots of different people's perspectives. And then I also tell them that they have to come away with three to five contacts, people that they're going to follow up with. And um, the one that I'm probably not great at enforcing, but which I always recommend is when they get back, they actually need to write a handwritten thank you note to that person. So, which is a crazy, crazy one, right? Because <laughs> in our world, we don't do that. But I always tell them, I said, if you write a handwritten thank you note to that person, and in the future, you want to call them and follow up, or if you want to call them and ask them a question, guess what? I bet you 90% of the time, that person is going to remember you, and they will take your phone call and provide. So, it, to me, it's just that next level of connection and making those long-term relationships, you know, that we're all building on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, networking is huge. And especially, I mean, Nika has completely reformed in general how they actually do their educational opportunities. The big thing was we read all our surveys and they said, we want to hear from our peers. You know, like you said, like the paid speakers, they are great and they do have a place, but learning from your peers is huge. You know, why reinvent the wheel if someone's already done it and you can just learn from them? So I absolutely agree. I think peer-to-peer you know, learning is huge. And, you know, like you said, is that something that you're seeing as well? Just people want to learn from others. Yeah, I call it the um, theoretical and then the actual, right? I mean, we've all sat through classes where we learned about theoretical this or theoretical that, and, and it's mind boggling. And you're just like, how do I apply this to my day-to-day life? But when you get in there and you hear another contractor speak about what they're doing and how they've applied it to their processes, then you go, oh, wow, okay, now I get it. And so I do believe that actual, I call it get her done, BIM or get her done tech or whatever it is. I think that actually has a ton more appeal because people can actually see how it actually might work versus when Benham gets up on stage, not to pick on James, but <laughs> when he gets up on stage, he talks about all this amazing stuff, but you're like, that is nowhere near to being our day to day. When your contractor gets up there to speak, you go, oh, okay, that, that's incrementally is getting us towards that long-term vision that Benham is building for people. So, and I believe like of the conference, I think there's like 37 different contractor led sessions. It's a crazy number. The conference 
very heavily is relying on other contractors to help present. And there are a lot of roundtable discussions. And um, again, I think that's where the value really is, is learning from others and what their experience has been. It is amazing the nuggets that you can pick up from other people. That's so great. And you're, you're, you're absolutely, you know, spot on. And it is awesome when you can get a balance of kind of those visionaries, those great speakers who have the the perspective of the far out future, and also bring it home with people who have that experience of actually applying in a context of the trade that you're used to, or the, you know, Mm -hmm. the construction environment, the job site. So that is a, a really wonderful and impactful point. And like you, like you mentioned, we have something along the order of, um, I want to say over 40 speakers who are contractors at this event. So it is definitely something to check out. And I wanted to to go back a little bit to something that you'd, you'd mentioned earlier when we talked about just this idea of innovation and really improving your best practices and taking them uh, not just from project to project, but even team to team. Can you share an example of kind of what that journey has looked like? And, and you know, for our listeners who are starting out the new year and, and, and very excited about how they can continue to optimize, what are some first steps to even just go through that process? Yeah, for us, you know, the the idea sharing is really the critical piece. And you never know where the good ideas are going to come from. Some of our best come from our field leaders. They are absolutely, they always have these little nuggets of, oh, I do this and it makes it so much better. So it definitely is worthwhile to harvest feedback from everybody involved in the process to get a, find out where is the real pain point, you know, because sometimes what I as an office person think is the pain point is not the pain point that the dude in the dirt thinks is the pain point. And I think that we have to acknowledge, like, what are we really trying to solve? Whose problems are really get the most priority? So to me, that the first step is always identifying, like, where's our pain point? Where's our struggle? And how do we, how do we solve that issue? Or how do we make it better? Does, that's the first step. We also like, like I said, we like to look and see what are we doing in other trades and other branches, because we do have multiple branches in the organization. And we try to transfer a best practice from one to another. So hangers, I always talk about hangers. People get tired of hearing me talk about hangers. But it's something that's universal between multiple trades. So um, before I came back to Waldinger in 2012, we had done some prefabricated hangers in our mechanical department. And so we decided we were going to do it on another project. And we made a lot of really stupid mistakes. <laughs> you know, we said, we sent 200 hangers out to a job site and said, here you go, guys, aren't we awesome? And then the guys in the field spent like a day trying to sort through 200 hangers and figure out where they went on the job site. And so we learned, oh, we need to give them in groups of 10. And oh, we need to, you know, this makes it easier if we give it by area. And so we've refined that process. So when our sheet metal group went to do prefabricated hangers, we were able to say, hey, do this. You know, um, when our electrical group went to do prefab hangers, we're like, hey, let's do this. So I think it's really, um, you have to have people who are willing to communicate and who are willing to accept ideas from others. Some people like to think that their way is the best way or their way is the only way. And that goes back to that learning from others and always being open. Probably one of the biggest obstacles and probably things that people need to consider is that open mind when they're looking at innovation and change. Well, that's huge. And, you know, you brought up the the issue of field office, which is big. And of course, prefab across MEP, um, which your perspective is amazing because you have 
all three, um, you know, what for a lot of those who are trying to get into prefab, you know, what is what's that first big step, you know, that they need to take to get into it? Um, you know, especially for the field. I know that's a big one of trying to get buy in. So how do you guys go about that? Well, the, the hangers are a great example, right? When we first started, the first job we did, it was disastrous. We we're really fortunate. The field foreman that we had was really open. He's like, that sucked. He goes, but I can see how if we did this, this, and this, it might be okay. And so, so we just really worked with him. So it was really funny because we actually focused on him and his project and making it work for him. And then, um, then we would roll it out to a couple other guys, right? And get their feedback. And it really became a culture then where like the next guy was like, well, hey, why don't I get that? Those guys have it. Why don't I get that? And so we really found that it was much easier to organically grow that demand for prefab than it was to try to push it down on them. So to me, the key is identifying somebody in the field who sees the value and the opportunity and including them in the discussion. That may be doing the prefab on their project. It might be working with having them work with a shop leader, but you've got to get that person who's going to really advocate for it and be willing to take the bumps and bruises that are bound to happen along the way. Um, we, but we, you know, it's funny because one of the guys in my group um, recently had his 35 year anniversary with the company and he went back to, and he used to manually draw on the board and we started doing bathroom prefab at Waldinger, which would have been a long time ago. And he was like, he actually drew it and figured it out. And then he went to the shop and did it. And then he took that from the shop to the field and helped install it. So, I mean, he was personally responsible for it. So he was the one trying to figure it out and get the buy-in. And so I think if you are brand new to prefab, it might be finding that person who can actually go from A to B to C and refine the process and make it work. But it definitely is finding, it's all about the people, right? And so yeah. it's about finding that right person. That's so huge. And like you said, it's 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 getting the stakeholders who are passionate and who are responsible and and making sure that they're engaged along all steps of the workflow, right? And and yeah. that that buy-in it is a, you know, it's a scary thing, especially in this day and age, right? Margins are tight, supply, you know, the supply chain is a, a whole nother thing we could spend an episode on. But so this this whole idea of, you know, making sure that people are open to change and and that they're willing to take these risks and not necessarily laugh off the failures, but but learn from them. How do you how do you develop that as a culture? I think that it is a definitely a culture. And I think it's one where mistakes don't get punished. My, my old boss used to say if he had a buck for every mistake he made at the company, he would have retired 15 years earlier than he did. <laughs> but it's a, it is that willingness to take the risk, but knowing that you've got the support. If you're really doing the right thing and trying um, and putting prudent effort into it, knowing that you're not going to be punished and that the company is willing to put money into it and take the chance, you know? So I think it's just that culture of, Let's try it and see if it makes things better. But it is definitely change and change can be hard. You know? Absolutely. You know, that's that's one thing where the, the long shot, you know, you have access to MEP, right? What do you foresee coming in the next year or two, you know, that can help improve or you know, something amazing technology wise that you see that will be implemented in the next one to two years? 
I don't know. I think robotics are coming. I think they're coming a little bit slower than I thought they would. But I think robotics are very, very interesting. Um, I think that they are going to be driven faster by the labor shortages that we're all experiencing. I think that we're going to see a need and less resistance to robotics. The real question is, is the technology there to support it? Um, I feel like I've been saying that for 25 years, though. Technology's <laughs> almost there. It's almost there. Um, I do feel like we're close, and I do feel like there are real instances where robotics are making a difference. Um, we have automated a lot of our processes as much as we can, so most of our pipe cutting and stuff like that is automated now. And when we get to the point of the robot picking it up and installing it and assembling it, that will be interesting, but that may not happen in my lifetime. That So that piece is interesting. I think the bigger thing with technology is is and innovation is really just going to be the way that we use models and getting those more into the hands of the field people. And that technology is, if it's not here, it's darn close. So I'm thinking like HoloLens and stuff like that. Our kid, you know, my kids, to hear his kids is too young to be doing this, but, <laughs> you know, my kids live in a 3D world. And to give them a flat 2D plan of something that they would install in the field, they would never be able to conceptualize and visualize that. And my kids are seniors in high school. So they're very, you know, like we're going to need to put that model in that end user's hands. And whether that be on a tablet or whether that be through a HoloLens or some kind of augmented reality, I think that that's probably something that's coming in the next two to five years um, that will be very real for our field installers. I also get a little worried about our general contractors are going, how are general contractors going to leverage technology against us? <laughs> um, and I do think that that's a real thing that, um, and not necessarily against us, but, you know, we already see general contractors scanning things and asking us why we're not installed within a half inch tolerance. Well, most are building, most their structural framing isn't within a half inch tolerance, you know, so which comes first. But I do think that we'll see more and more, especially with the robots and stuff, right? The general contractors are going to automate the scanning and keep coming back to us. Why isn't this installed as designed? So I worry about, is that going to make the MEP installation a commodity? And where are we as MEP contractors going to be adding value? And what is our, how are we going to sell ourselves? That is like a ginormous mind blowing discussion, right? But as contractors, I think we really have to figure out how do we work together to make sure that we are still in this marketplace in 15 years. That is a, it is a really important thing to think about. And like you said, it's, there are moments when technology makes things better and easier and, and, and allows you to do your job in a way that, that you're more empowered or you have more information, but there are also ways that technology can potentially be leveraged to make um, a job more difficult. And that, that is a really big point. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that intercompany optimization and best practices and learning from project teams and, and sharing things kind of down that workflow. When, when you think about expanding that even just beyond your own company to the other specialty contractors, right? The other mechanical, electrical, and plumbing contractors that, as you said, Stacy are the ones who are, are doing the, you know, putting the building together, doing the actual work on the job site. 
how how do you see ways that these different trades can start to to bridge the gap even when they're not part of the same company to make sure that they are kind of aligning on best practices or positioning themselves with as as united or as strong or as you know just kind of harmonious of, of a front as they can when faced with challenges from that general contractor or some of the the threats that that come about on on projects I think that knowing your other contractors, if it's in your market, right, knowing them, what are their strengths and learning how to work together and be a real, almost like a mini team, right? Um, so many of us see these, I'm going to call them the big, the big contractors come in and they come in with an owner to build a building, but they usually tap local MEP forces, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys, as a team, you have to know how to work together because usually you're getting somebody from a ginormous contractor and, and they may not be deploying their A team, right? So if you're doing a BIM VDC process, you almost need to know as a team, like how to work together and get it done, despite whoever the general contractor is assigning. So developing those relationships so that you can pick up the phone and call the electrical and make the changes or the tweaks or the fire sprinkler or whoever it is, that makes you more successful as a contractor and that willingness to work together. You may not always want to work together with your competitor, but at least with other trades that you don't compete with, you need, you've got to figure that piece out. Yeah, I think that that is a really important piece, right? And that kind of goes back, it's been a theme for us today, right? The idea of how do you work together, whether it's the field and the shop, whether it's the office and the in the field, whether it's the mechanical or the electrical or the plumbing contractor, even when you're part of the same company, there's definitely... Yeah opportunities for that for that cohesion and uh you know we talked about tech we talked about tech we're excited about and tech we're scared about and uh what you know what's going to be the capabilities stacy of your kids and my kids that that blow us out of the water so many many interesting things to kind of kick off our first episode of the year if you were to to kind of boil it all down to to one takeaway or one piece of advice for our listeners who maybe excited about the future or maybe now you know shaking in their boots what would you what would you want to leave our audience with? Oh, I'm torn. Uh, I'm probably torn between two different ones. You can get my, two. I can get two. Okay, cuz my <laughs> my first one was not to be afraid of tech. You have to you have to learn to embrace it and look at it and try to figure out how it's going to change your workflows because otherwise the people who don't I always tell, I tell people in my organization, if you don't want to learn how to run a model, then just look for your next career because you're not going to be in this industry in five years. So, I mean, like you have to learn to embrace it and don't be afraid of it. Um, the other one that I really think is important is respect. We, whether it be respect for your other trades that you're working with or respect for the guy in the field or the person in the office, whoever, whomever it might be. But like everybody comes at this from a different perspective and you have to really respect that and try to understand what their position is. Because until you understand their perspective and what they bring, um, you're probably missing a big piece of the puzzle that could make you really successful. I absolutely agree. When you have an omniscient view, your sight's a lot clearer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you so much, Stacy, for being on the show with us today. And thank you for your insights. For all of our listeners, feel free to reach us at innovation at nikanet.org with any questions, comments, or suggestions. We look forward to hearing your view of innovation and the challenges ahead.